is my aesthetic branding marketing entrepreneurship you're listening to the kiss my aesthetic podcast i'm your host michelle winterstein of mkw creative co where we build brag worthy brands through visual identity design and social media you're in the right spot for branding marketing and entrepreneurship advice so enjoy the episode Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. It's late for me, but it's midday for you. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you very much. Can I do your um, your theme tune this week, please? Oh my gosh, yeah. Do you want to sing it? Here we go. Kiss My Aesthetic, branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You know, it's like Sonic Sonic Hooks go, that is a beezer. Like I've, I do my homework for podcasts, you know, I listen to them. And I've had that in my head all week uh, in the shower. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, 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 it's a oh wicked my gosh, little sonic great. trigger, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Shout out to Eliza. She's my friend from college. She's a singer-songwriter. And when I started the podcast, I said, will you please write me a theme song? She's like, what do you want it to sound like? I was like, I want it to sound like San Diego. And she goes, done. <laughs> That's what she came up with. Very nice. And it fits. Very nice. I think it fits. I think it fits. Um, well, for those who don't know you, can you please tell us who you are, what you do, and who you help? Sure. Uh, my name is James Barnard. I am a freelance logo designer. Uh, I'm based off the Gold Coast, Australia, but I'm actually from the UK. My um, my wife's Australian, so I followed a girl to Australia <laughs> um, last year, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic, we emigrated to Australia. Um, so we had to do our two weeks of quarantine in a hotel room with a two-year-old daughter, which I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. It was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's great to be here now and um, just sort of setting up the, the sort of freelance business here and things have finally kind of got into sort of the swing of things and the clients have started to roll in, which is great. Yeah, great news. Oh my gosh. So logo designer specifically, is that what you always wanted to be when you grew up? No, I wanted to be a record producer. No. I, I studied music <laughs> and electronics at university and I wanted to be, you know, like in the, in the studio with my mixing desk, but then I quickly realized that it was uh, long hours underground on my own all day. So um, yeah, I, I, I changed tack kind of a little bit late in the grand scheme of things. I think I was 25 when I changed to become a graphic designer. And I got my start in publishing in the UK. So I worked for a couple of magazines in London. And from there, sort of bounced around a few different publications, ended up at the Daily Telegraph as part of their um, sort of marketing team in the Daily Telegraph, a national newspaper. So it was really fast paced, got to learn a lot on the job. And then I took a role at the Times and the Sun, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, but I absolutely hated it. It was just one of those <laughs> firefighting roles where you're constantly dealing with problems, you're dealing with HR issues. I love the teaching side of things, you know, actually developing a team and actually mentoring people, but the um, you know the project management and the the client hassle side of things was just ultimately not for me. So yeah, I went freelance to kind of pay the bills um while i mm -hmm. found another full-time role and then realized pretty quickly that it's all right this freelance life isn't it it's one of those um things where you know i can pick my own hours i can if i need to run an errand in the middle of the day i can just go and do it um yeah so the rest is kind of history but i, I niched down into logo design not too long ago probably a couple of years ago now like right in the middle of the pandemic i'm sure you know you had a bit of a, um, a pivot in your business when when the pandemic hit, but it's totally. just yeah. I, I kind of I was I was going into agencies as a freelancer on a kind of a day rate, 
And then when the pandemic hit, and also um, we had our first child and I did the whole stay at home dad thing for the first year of her life. So my career totally took a back burner. And then um, when I finally decided to get back into the swing of things, I thought, hang on, I can actually change tack here. And I watched um, all of Chris Doe's videos about, you know, um, the business of design and the business of being a freelancer and how to sell your services and market yourself better. And so I changed my website. I, I basically made everything about logos and pulled all of the stuff from, from my portfolio that was sort of generic graphic design beforehand and turned it into sort of logo specific stuff. And, and yeah, the rest is, the rest is history. We talk about Chris Doe a lot on the podcast because I feel like once people find his content, a light bulb goes off. Yeah. I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of weeks ago. He's in okay. Australia. He's in Australia doing, he was doing the No BS conference and a, a mutual friend of ours hooked us up. It was like a date. It was kind of awkward. I, I rocked up at a hotel in Brisbane, sat down and um, got two hours alone. Well, not alone, wow. but with, with somebody else with... Um, Christo, where we just chatted, shut the shit for two hours. Okay, well, tell us everything then. Tell, like, spill it. <laughs> he is what do you have to share, incredible. James? I, I got there. I got there, and um, he was kind of like it, it was set up by a mutual friend of ours over like Instagram DM. So it was kind of awkward. I was like, "Is it? You know, I was oh, you know, is it okay if I actually go and meet this guy?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just show up, just show up." And I got there, and he said hello, and he just kind of wasn't very like um friendly he was kind of didn't really smile and i was like oh shit like i've i've kind of this is really uncomfortable he's he's been kind of forced to do this so i went and got a coffee and then i sat back down and then just slowly over the course of like half an hour he started opening up more and eventually we just got talking about everything and he gave me advice on my business we'll get into all of that but like it was just oh, yeah. incredible it was incredible it's so cool to meet him he did a funny little tiktok video for me he totally played along uh, it was just great. He's just a wonderful, wonderful man. It was great. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know Christo, the future, he's kind of the Yoda of the design <laughs> world. Would you kind of agree? Like he agree. has this, yeah. this energy of, he just has these zingers and these really great points. But I think the content that I found from him that was most useful is actually the old adage, the Picasso idea of the person that walks up to Picasso and says, you know, can you make me a drawing? And he says, yes. And he draws something in five minutes and they say, how much is that going to be? And he says, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And they go, well, it only took you five minutes. Why, why so expensive? And he said, it's because it took me 40 years to learn how to do that in five minutes. That's and I it. think when you realize that, especially as a logo designer, that is like liquid gold knowledge. Absolutely. It's about the end result, not the not the process that it took to get there and how quick you did it. And and, and also mm -hmm. like he's a big advocate for not selling your time uh you're not selling yourself as an hourly business because that's kind of plateaued in how much you can earn because there's only so many hours in the day. He's about, you know, project-based pricing. So honestly, I, I went onto his YouTube channel, watched every single one of his videos, took notes and slowly implemented his advice over, over my business over the course of like a year. So I changed my website, sorted out my SEO, did a three-tiered pricing structure for my logo packages. Right. Good, better, best. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, this is the most popular one, the one in the middle that's slightly more uh -huh, expensive, uh -huh. yeah, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, and and just slowly that kind of project-based pricing model has just started to work. And, and eventually, I had a couple of retainer clients just doing sort of generic graphic design stuff, and I just I I put the pause on them. I said, "Sorry, this is you know this is logo design only now," and had to kind of fire those clients, unfortunately. But and it was a really scary moment because you know that was that was regular monthly income that's just gone. So yeah, it was a bit of a kind of um, 
one of those moments that was kind of really scary, but I'm so glad that I did it. Totally. Because now being on the other side, like you can see how that shift, you get a different sense of ownership in the business, at least as the creative of like, the way I think about it, about it is it's the difference between being like the technician and the expert. You have the technical skills to execute on graphic design. Like I can design business cards and flyers and postcards and t-shirts and all these things, but that doesn't mean that I want to Yeah, <laughs> and not even want to, but that's not necessarily the best use of my expertise. Right. But you also find more clients that way. So if you yes. sort of position yourself as doing the one thing, you think that being a generic graphic designer, you get more business because there's more work and you can sell more stuff. But actually, people don't find you as easily because the market is saturated with generic mm-hmm. graphic design. So by niching down into just logos, uh, I've seen so much more business. It's ridiculous. I'm just kind of annoyed I didn't do it sooner. Right. Okay. Yeah. I feel that too. I feel that it's like, I think my shift from being a catch-all graphic designer to focusing on branding was probably around like 2019. So I was primed in a really good space, right? For the pandemic when everyone was at home, we had everybody's attention online. I was lucky in starting my TikTok really early. Like I know that you have. So let's actually talk about that, how we even connected with each other and how we know each other now. Um, Thank goodness for TikTok, right? I know, I know. Well, it was the Designer Boss Summit that we mm-hmm. that I first got, of, got to know you. And um, the only reason I was asked to be a speaker on the Designer Boss Summit is because of the success that I'd had on TikTok. And I was, I was a bit nervous, actually, doing my talk. My talk was how to win more design clients with TikTok. And I got mm-hmm. to look at the list of past speakers. And the year before <laughs> was you <laughs> with almost exactly the same. And I was like, oh, shit, I better not, you know, there better not be any overlap here. So I made, the, I made the talk really specific about the actual process of making the videos and the structure of how to make a good video and how to get a good hook and how to go viral and a little bit about the editing process as well. So that was, um, yeah, that was a great little summit. I learned loads from all of the speakers at that summit. It was brilliant. Yeah, Designer Boss Summit is fabulous. They, uh, I think, asked me back, uh, this was my fifth time presenting. I think they do two a year, um, which is wild. And one of the first ones, yeah, was the TikTok presentation. I got super lucky in like being, I'm usually an early adopter to things. Yeah. Um, so the whole reason this podcast exists is because in 2017, I was live stream interviewing people that I wanted to talk to. And calling it like Design Live, like with the IG capitalized for Instagram and using it as a way as just a networking tool. Of, I wanted to talk to designers that were four or five, six years ahead of me in business um, that I really had no business talking to because they weren't going to hire me and I wasn't going to hire them. But I just wanted to, you know, pick their brain, though, as the saying goes, like you Absolutely. got to luckily do with Chris. But yeah, it, it does kind of create this great tool. And then through the Designer Boss Summit, um, my topic was also live streaming, which I think that you had shared that you got some value out of. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I did a lot of um, live streaming on TikTok and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And can I ask though, your your podcast is kind of spawned from you know Instagram live streaming. Aren't you gutted uh-huh. that all of that content is now just gone? You know, it was live and it's absolutely yep. just disappeared forever and ever and ever now. Yes, but no, because I feel that I'm the kind of creator that I have to be spinning like a million miles an hour in 40 different directions anyway, that right. I'm kind of grateful that not all of it lives in permanence. Um, because I'm sure I've said things that I've now contradicted myself 40 times. Like, right, I think yeah. if anyone were to listen to my whole catalog of podcast episodes, there's no way that I haven't said things over top of myself that's different than what I said like eight months ago. 
<laughs> it's just practically impossible. But for for conversations and to think of the podcast even and to think of it as part of my creative process has really changed my positioning on it because now I can think of it as almost a time capsule of how I was thinking about things. And then when I do refer back to them, it kind of is an, it's almost like keeping a sketchbook. I am not a sketchbook person at right, all. Yeah. Like, uh-uh, I'm, I don't draw almost anything. And I'm curious if you do, if that's part of your logo design process. You don't either. Okay. Nope. Did you have a huge insecurity about that for a long yes. time? Yes, especially Same. when looking at people on social media and watching them convert their sketches into logo designs. My Same. doodles are terrible. They are utterly terrible. Um, the only sort of pen to paper um, method that I do is just to kind of rule stuff out. So I'll do little line drawings and connections, mm -hmm. but then it is massively in Illustrator. As long as I know that something connects up kind of in the right way by using a pen and paper, which is obviously quicker, it's easy to then go into Illustrator knowing that it's kind of possible. What I don't do is work up these ridiculously, incredibly intricate designs using a compass and a protractor and with all the angles and the sketches like you see on Instagram. Um, I swear those guys are just kind of retrofitting those sketches to the design that they've already they made. They must. I hope so. Right? I hope so. Right? Okay. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about either, it's like those ones that are time lapsey, yeah. where they're like measuring out every single grid and a two, three grid and a this and this perfect circle. And like someone who found all the perfect circles of the Twitter bird logo, it's like, there's yeah. no way that the person who made that bird was thinking that. There's no way. There's no way. So it's just so funny because, of course, this is like specific logo design nerd talk. But of the logo design stuff that you saw online when you were getting started, you said, OK, the people that are drawing and making these really intense grids, you're like, that's not me. When did you start kind of feeling comfortable in your own process of going right to the computer? Um, well, it was kind of I've always been really good with the software and I've felt, mm -hmm. always felt much more comfortable in the software. Um, I, that's one of the sort of. I think the selling points is why I was, I was such a good generic designer is that I can fly around um, applications like Photoshop and Illustrator um, just so efficient with them that it was easier for me to dive into the, the places like Adobe Illustrator first. So the comfort was almost instant. The second I became a graphic designer and I learned that tool, it was like I was in the software rather than doing the sketching. I kind of came to the sketching as a secondary After. thing because I thought I should because everybody else is bloody doing it. So um, it was kind of like a, an afterthought, really. Now it, there's a bit more in there. When I start a project, I'll do a lot of sketching and, and you know, the, the really, really rough stuff that's just kind of pen to paper because it's obviously sure. so much faster. But then, yeah, I'll get into Illustrator as quickly as possible. My de facto sketchbook is like the steamy glass in the shower. Absolutely, yeah. Like I'm always writing things, like doodling things to the point where I went on a bachelorette party and we, <laughs> we'd gotten a little buzzed and one of the girls that I was sharing a room with came in from the bathroom and she goes, did you write something on the mirror? <laughs> I, was like, I might have. I was like, I don't know. What is it about the shower that is where you get all of your great ideas? You know what? I'll tell you exactly what it is. No electronics. Oh, I see. No, no phone, no laptop, no distractions, just you and your brain and also massages. That's another place I get great ideas. Eyes are closed no distraction. And you actually can just like sit and chew on an idea. And I think that that's part of the creative process that people forget. And again, why charging money for your time is, is such a misnomer because especially as a designer, like you're getting ideas everywhere all the time. I just had a whole meeting with my team today where I told them like, if you guys want to go to any museum in your area, just to go take pictures of things. So then you can kind of bring them back into your design work. Like I will help you pay for your admissions ticket because I want them out there 
learning and observing. That's such a missed part of the process. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. We used to have a, um, a session in uh, the Daily Telegraph within our team. Every Monday, we would meet at 9.30 to share um, something that we found that week. And it was usually from places that people have been, like a museum or a piece of tech that someone had seen or an app that they found cool. And it was just like a knowledge sharing thing. Um, it was like you know, the, the first half hour of the day was dedicated to that there's a bit of pressure as well you have to come up with something cool every week but it was also really good that we, we got so many ideas out of it and it was all from going to art galleries and museums so yeah big advocate of that yeah it's an important part of the of the process um i think it's it's something again like we said that gets kind of overlooked or can be kind of not as flashy because you don't really know how the thing that sparks the idea is going to come into fruition mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then you could be six months from now be like oh that one thing that i saw way back when is now is now relevant. Um, I'm curious about your logo design process. Like you said, you kind of came to the logo game a bit, you think late, but I think probably <laughs> perfectly on time. Yeah. Talk to us about those first few logo design clients and the ones that you felt like, oh, I'm onto something. Like I crushed this one. I, I'd always kind of been doing the logo design thing as a side hustle against the sort mm-hmm. of generic graphic design. And I got put forward for a pretty big project in London. It was a restaurant brand. I don't work with these guys anymore, but at the time it was such a high profile one that I felt, right, I've really got to do, I've already got to knock this out of the park because it was a, a huge restaurant in the center of London and it was the branding across the two sides of it. And it was one of those jobs where I was like, if I don't do a good job here, um, my name is going to be mud against these, you know, this, the person that referred me for this job. So I really kind of worked hard on that one. And as that process kind of evolved and I, my ideas got presented to the client, and they loved them. I was like, okay, that was that worked out pretty well. And then gradually the process has, has changed over the years slightly to kind of hone it down and, and get the, the process a bit faster. But yeah, it was just kind of being thrown in at the deep end that kind of got me started there. It was such a high profile logo that I had to had to knock it out of the park. And satisfying when you see it in real life. Yeah, right? it's a neon on the front of the on the front of the building was just such a cool thing to walk by and go, that's one of mine. So yeah, I love that. That just happened to me this last weekend. I was in New York for a client of mine that has a luxury candle company at, called Hotel, Hotel Lobby, Lobby Candle. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the one. And their, their pop-up shop was so satisfying because not only was it everyone's first option to like really interact with the brand beyond what they just saw online, but it was also a summary of every packaging we've designed for the last two years uh, and to see them all together and then see people be excited about it, it. There is something that's missed when it's just digital. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to hold your designs in your hand is something that I never got to do when I first started out because I was a digital designer. I did like online competitions for magazines, did um, display advertising, digital first and then went to print. So I never got to hold anything. So it's always lovely when you get some merch done or something aesthetic Uh to grab onto. It's lovely. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you have projects that have stood out since you started that are kind of like your Hall of Fame favorites, personally? For logo design, um, more kind of recently, the ones I've done over the past six months, it's it's the same with any um, work that you do. You you feel like you always get better. The the latest stuff you've done is always the the best stuff. I do have one logo, though, that continues to bring me clients that I did before I was like a a, you know a full-time logo designer and it was for a restaurant in Abu Dhabi called Otto and it was just one of those logos that had so much meaning in it and a little bit of hidden meaning into the design um and it was like a, a case study on my portfolio that it still brings me 
you know clients today from it i think that's you did a really good uh, tiktok video on that one you've seen it yeah yeah i've seen it yeah 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 it's a slice taken out of the o of the letter o and because the restaurant is in an arabic area the um symbol for the letter eight which is otto in italian uh is cut from the the pizza slice so as the pizza slice is removed from the o the symbol for the um arabic symbol eight is in there so it's a lovely little easter egg that the client gets to explain to their customers and it's just you know just fills them with joy I think those Easter eggs are so important. It's a big part of my logo design process as well, is kind of the, if you know, you know, kind of branding, Yeah. which speaks really well to the audience. Do you think all logos need that? And how do you explain to your clients the value of having those little hidden Easter egg moments in the branding? I don't think all logos should have it, but when it works and it's appropriate for their industry, then absolutely get it in there. And I always try and do it. I always try and work in something like whether it's like the ethos of their business or something to do with their backstory and how their company originated. If you can get that into a design in a simple and a reductive way, then by all means, it just it blows their minds. And you know, every good logo should have some kind of meaning to the client, you know, they're going to be proud of it. They're going to look at it for the rest of their, you know, the life of their business. So if they have that in there and it's not immediately apparent, but they get to explain it to their client, to their customers and their, and their clients. And they're like, Oh yeah, look at that. It's like the Toblerone and the, the bear inside the mountain in the Toblerone mm-hmm. and the arrow in the FedEx logo. It's just, Oh, what a little nice touch. So that is lovely when it comes together. Like I say, it doesn't always work, but when it does, it's just chef's kiss extra satisfying. I'm wondering if this happens to you as well. Part of my brand questionnaire is asking clients to send logos that they admire and brands that they admire to kind of help me inform the process. Um, Because usually if you're given a few examples as designers with a critical eye, we can decide, oh, okay, you're looking for this kind of intricate mark or a word mark or an icon or a symbol, whatever. And I always giggle when someone says that they love the Apple logo. (laughs) Yeah. The Apple logo has nothing to do with electronics. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then that usually spurs the conversation between the difference between a logo and a brand. Said so, so I tell them, like, do you like the actual logo, the artwork that you're looking at, or do you like the brand that Apple represents? And it's usually the latter. Um, but it's from your laugh, I can guess that people have maybe suggested that towards you Absolutely. as well, or at least had that in conversation. How do you approach that convo? I have a similar brand questionnaire that you do, I imagine. Uh-huh. And it has a section like that in there. Send me examples of logos that you like and that you think would be appropriate. Or maybe even your competitors' logos that you like. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, most of my clients are quite lazy in that respect. They don't usually fill that section out because there's a lot more work for them to do. Obviously, helps me massively, so I have to kind of extract that information from them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, do you know what logo I really love? It's the Nike logo. Um, yeah, the Nike logo is usually the same one that's always got people buzzing in the same way. I get that one a lot too. Absolutely. Yeah. So explain that one a little bit. We'll just kind of cut it from the top here. Um, so when somebody puts in your questionnaire logos that they admire or they like, examples of good ones and examples of bad ones. Um, well, usually it's, you know, the, the, the favorites, like the Nikes and the Apples. Um, bad ones. What, what's really terrible is when they say, here's my competitor's logo. I love their logo. I'm like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. It will influence what I'm about to do. Okay. Don't send me that. By all means, tell me like who your competitors are. But when you say, I love the style of this one, it's like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. We can't do that. We're trying to separate you from the competition. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's an awkward conversation to have. 
No, it absolutely is. And it's that thing of you want to know just enough to have your own idea, but you don't want to know too much where you can be influenced because then your brain starts like leaning that direction. But you do something that I also do. And I learned this from your TikTok. You reverse Google image search your logo designs. Absolutely. I do. I do. Explain the methodology of that. Well, at the point where you're about to take a design and then work it up into a presentation. So you've got your concept, you've got it in black and white, and you've got it vectorized, and you're you're reasonably happy with it. At that point, I'll go to a few resources to plagiarism check the design to make sure that I'm not treading on anybody's toes. And it's a step I found massively helpful because if you find out after you've done all the presentation work and and 10 Photoshop mockups that you've just finished, or even after you presented it to the client, it's always, you know, absolutely soul destroying when you have to go back to the drawing board at that stage. So what I like to do is to take the black and white version, just screenshot a JPEG and upload it to a website called the WIPO database, which is like a, a huge database of trademarks and brands. There's not everything in there, but it's a really good starting point. The website sucks, but it has an image upload tool where it gives you like a grid of images that you can check and make sure that your concepts aren't you know too close to another person's design. And then obviously there's the reverse image search on Google, the Google Lens, which I think is called now, which is hugely powerful, especially when you've got like a high contrast image, like a black and white one, and you upload it and a shape comes out and it's almost identical to one that you've done. It's like, back to oh, the no. <laughs> Yeah, I that just happened to me this year. I did an entire brand for a B&B in upstate New York and, and did the whole logo and then started in on a wedding venue in Idaho and was going through my own font library. And I was like, oh, I love this font. Where did this come from? And did the <laughs> whole thing. And got to the end and I was like, you're joking. Like, how, of course I picked, I have a really hard time with script fonts. I don't know if you feel this way. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel that there's so many bad scripts and not a lot oh, of yeah. great scripts. And my insecurity of, as well as drawing is not having a lot of hand lettering experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I'm more shape-based. I think actually our styles are, are very similar um, yeah. in that way of like, I like kind of the shape, the negative space, like you're talking about, but there are also only so many permutations of like a black and white minimalism logo. That's right just enough of a touch to it to separate it from something that's quite similar mm-hmm. but with the, the script based fonts that's obviously it's kind of you know ornate logo types are kind of a lot easier to pass the plagiarism check and right. I kind of I, but I don't do enough of that kind of work and I, I recently took on a job for a gin company it's not out yet the project but it was like a completely calligraphy based logo type and I'd never done anything like that before just to kind of fuck myself and put you know make it something yeah. um, <laughs> I'd not done before just to kind of see if I could do it and uh, yeah it's hugely rewarding it, it turned out really well and I was able to incorporate a bit of meaning inside the logo type as well which is always Ooh. a bonus yeah to look yes we love it when that happens we love it when that happens I'm curious now that because you've been, you know, growing your brand so much on TikTok and on Instagram and getting more interest in your logo design process, what are some of your most frequently asked questions from your audience where you can just send them the clip of this podcast and say, here's your answer? Yeah. I get a lot of students message me asking Same. questions about getting into the business and how to find clients as a freelancer. And I made a video specifically about that because that's not a, a one sentence answer, is it? It's There's mm-hmm. so much into it. It's, you know, there's positioning yourself as an expert in your industry, writing articles about what you do, having a website that has premium um, quality work on it, really good looking mockups, 
and you know it's targeted for seo and so i did a video about that on tiktok and now i just yeah whenever somebody um like a student asks me these questions i go video link video link video link and yep. i just send them all of the tiktoks it's too easy definitely definitely and i think that's another great way as a designer or as a freelancer to consider your social media is kind of an encyclopedia of your knowledge mm-hmm. just like we talked about even the podcast being like a time capsule i'm always thinking of different ways of like how can what i make live in a way that's useful and turnkey that we can come back and reference to, um, which I think is, is super useful. What would be some of your best pieces of advice? Let's dig into that content exactly for designers that are just getting started on their journey, because the education space, even from when I started my business in 2014 is drastically different now with just the, the access to information and tutorials and, you know, social accounts like ours, what would be your best pieces of advice for somebody who's like, I really want to do that. Um, to be honest, I didn't study to be a graphic designer either. I changed tack halfway through a career as a 25 year old and, and learned on the job. I I blagged the job at a magazine and learned on the job. And so, you know, my advice would be is just get as much experience as you can, because it is invaluable to learn from other designers, to sit next to other designers and learn from what they do and the processes that they work through and their day-to-day lives. You can't, there's no, there's no substitute for that. It's one of the reasons I think I found a lot of success on, on places like TikTok and Instagram is because initially before I kind of got into the, the education space, I was showing time-lapse videos of me working up projects in Adobe Illustrator. And I was getting comments on them where people were getting loads. They're like, what did you just do there? Uh, 20 seconds in, what did you do? And I was having to explain. I was like, okay, well, maybe I should start explaining that a bit better. I started out posting time-lapse videos to Reddit. And in the comment sections of, of like the, the R graphic design channels and R logo design channels, um, people were asking like, that bit at 30 seconds in when that squiggly line came on the screen, what was that? I was like, well, that's the shape builder tool in Illustrator. Mm-hmm. Like, How do you, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to make a video about that. And uh, and that's been something that I think people have really kind of got out of my, of my content. It's the, the actual education side of things and the, and the software tips and tricks has been hugely valuable. So from a personal curiosity then, how do you straddle the difference between making educational content for a designer based audience versus attracting clients that want to hire you for your logo design offerings. In my experience, there is no difference because okay. by by showing that you're an educator in the design space, the clients see you as the expert. And so mm-hmm. they're going to come to you for that resource rather than going down, you know, let's, let's say another route. All of my content is based around a few things. It's things like um, software tips and tricks, uh, how to be a better freelancer, and and then case studies for clients. And those those videos are really, they're not only good for designers because they get to see my process and how they work, but they're also, I'm show, showing to a client, look how professional I am. Look how I dealt with this project with that client. And largely my clients have allowed me to be really transparent with that process and show the two options that we went through and the reason down we went one route over another and then feedback that they gave me and then how we ended up to the final product and those case study i, I called it ticklicks on tiktok tiktok client logo case studies and now i need to do one for instagram so that's icklicks isn't it um but <laughs> getting to the point where i i think i might start charging for these because those case study videos are so powerful um they're like pr pieces for a client and mm-hmm. one, one of them had over a hundred thousand views on tiktok and 
wow, that's a great way to start your business with your new logos to have a video with. It's exactly how my, my brand design in 60 seconds videos took off. I mean, those are same idea. It's a, it's a 60 second recap of the problem and the solution, which the problem was they needed branding that fit this ideal client avatar and these adjectives and this color palette. And, and then how does that actually get materialized all the way to be a brand? And there is so much to learn from that. And for me, it was my, my like lazy roundabout way of not wanting to put every single project on my website. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah. I wanted to recap it in a way that, that felt like showing off the whole shebang, right? Because if we're out here doing all the work, I mean, I think in 2020, I did like 41 brands in a year because it was, it was silly, silly, but the inquiries were almost 90% of them came from TikTok. Right. So it was people that were seeing that I was solving a problem in, in an authentic way. And I was using TikTok in a way that people weren't using it for. And also the quality of those leads from TikTok is way better than you uh-huh. think because they've been through uh-huh. your, your content and checked out what you do. And the nature of TikTok DMs means it's harder for them to get in touch with you. So if someone's reaching out via TikTok, they're going to have gone to your website and found your email rather than say somewhere like Instagram where it's too easy. And they go, how much for a logo, mate? You know, it's too, it's right. too easy for them to, to kind of, you know, just chat they've gone to your website and found you, then they're interested, right? And that's a, that's a juicy Absolutely. lead. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by the Kiss My Loops video training. That's right. I created an entire TikTok training for creative entrepreneurs that teaches them how to set up optimize and get around TikTok so you can create content that best engages with your ideal client on TikTok because believe me, they're on there. And if you listen to today's episode, you know what a powerhouse TikTok can be. So go ahead and check out today's show notes at mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. Click on the episode and you'll get the link exactly to the Kiss My Loops training. I hope you learn a lot. If you do, be sure to message me, tag me on Instagram, uh, tag me on everything and enjoy the training. Uh, if you had to predict where the future of TikTok marketing for someone in our niche industry is, what do you think is kind of on the horizon that you're excited about with TikTok? Wow, that's an expansive question. I'm having a bit of a <laughs> love-hate relationship with TikTok at the minute because... Oh, tell, tell, spill. So I know this is going to be a bit of a bone of contention with you because I know you're, you're dumping Instagram at the moment but it's uh-huh. like I've recently things started out well for me on TikTok I grew really fast on TikTok I had a viral video and I got a lot of followers from it and then Instagram was a much slower burn and now Instagram has, has caught up and overtaken my TikTok audience in right. a big way right. and now my leads are now starting to come more from Instagram than they are from TikTok and one of the things that's annoying me with TikTok at the minute is that the the algorithm is such a slot machine. Like I'll spend a, a long time on a video. I'll give you an example. Okay, I did a video um, about the pencil tool. Okay, so I, I discovered another content creator. Her name is Abby Connick. She's prolific across different um, you know social platforms as a design educator, and she used the pencil tool in a way where she took a letter form and kind of manipulated the shape of the pencil of the, of the graph, the graphic with the pencil tool. And I'd never seen it done before. I was like, holy, like I'd made a video, like a reaction video but in a stitch with TikTok. I got maybe 20,000 views, which isn't bad, you know, in the grand scheme right. of things. Right. Someone stitched my video, did exactly the same thing. I'm talking about like the same reaction, the same exact thing on the screen. They manipulated a piece of type. Their video got 2 million views. 
I was like, okay, look, I'm, I'm happy for them as a content creator. That's great. They stitched the video in the right way. It came back to me. They linked me properly, and I got a few followers from it. But, like, what the hell, TikTok? It's like one of those things where you, you put a lot of work into a video, and you're kind of at the mercy of the algorithm. Now, that same video I posted on Instagram, exactly the same video, 13, 13 million views on Instagram. Right. So. I don't know whether that's just because Instagram is pushing reels and they're trying to copy TikTok yes. to get that kind of content going, but geez, it worked out for me. It is it, it is an interesting thought experiment. And I, I kind of have this, the way you have a love-hate with TikTok is my love-hate with Instagram. Mm -hmm. I had a really good run with Instagram from 2017 to 2019, like solid. But I was also like digital nomading around the world and yeah. had a lot of content about entrepreneurship. And I wasn't as much in the weeds with growing my team. And, and now my business has changed. It's changed from me being a solopreneur to being an agency owner. And my day-to-day -day responsibilities have changed. And I, I don't have as much of the, the anecdotal story-related content that really served on Instagram um, in that way. And I imagine a lot less of the photography-based stuff as well, of being a, a traveler. A lot less photography based, a lot yeah. less. I mean, in, in 2019, I did like six brand photo shoots, like all concepted and everything and a, work with me and all this stuff. And we'll do all these things for your business. And it just is the business has changed. And what I, what I like about TikTok is, and what I think just as an observation is that the more complicated your video is, you're actually putting more distance between yourself and the viewer. And TikTok is all about shortening that distance between creator and viewer so that the content feels as real and as in-person as possible. That's why the ones where we're sitting on our couch, you know, slouched over with like terrible lighting, those are the TikToks that hit and not the ones that are studio produced and, and you know, big planned and theatrical and voiceover and all because it's it's you're shortening the, the distance um and i think as our relationship to screens change and i think it's a lot of the reason why i love live streaming is because that really shortens the distance between myself and the person that's viewing it to the point yeah. of going to adobe max talking to one of the speakers and her saying oh my gosh i watch your lives all the time i was like right. i had no idea you were following me that's really cool <laughs> like those little moments and it it Doing it in a way that, again, like you're trying to shorten that distance between the viewer and yourself is what gives them the authentic view into your process and pulling back the curtain. So I, I think that you're you're onto something. And I think that Instagram obviously really wants everybody to do video. That's like yeah. very clear. Yeah. Um, but alternatively, I can post something on my Instagram to my own audience and it can get viewed by like 40 people, like four yeah. zero. That's it. Like it, like less than 10 likes. I'm like, okay, what is the point? As a business owner, I've got to go where I'm getting the return on my energy. Because if it takes me, you know, this long to produce a reel and story series and posts and keep up and engagement versus slap together a TikTok and go on TikTok live and get eight, 10, 12 X, the amount of viewership, like I got to go where the eyeballs are. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of reversed for me at the minute because I'm doing exactly the opposite of you. Right. Because Instagram is just suddenly growing for me. I had a ridiculous explosion of followers because of that video that I just mentioned. And because the content on there was geared for TikTok, it was all short form marketing because yeah. I was just now repurposing the TikTok content, trying to keep that hype train going on yeah. TikTok, uh, putting that to Instagram. As soon as people came to my profile, there was like a, like a bank of content that they could just kind of right. binge. binge and it meant, yeah, exactly. An immediate follow for people. So I got a hundred thousand followers in two weeks from it. 
Absolutely nuts. So I kind of have to, like you say, go where the followers are and go where the love is. And um, that's why I've been kind of doing my Instagram lives rather than TikTok lives lately. Absolutely. No, and it's super worth it. And I think that those are the kind of, you know, experiments that's, that's the critical thinking that as the business owner, you can't afford to not do, right? So I never got into Twitter or LinkedIn. I know that people get clients from those places. Well, maybe not Twitter after this last week with Elon Musk running it into the ground faster than anything I've ever seen. But I mean, there's so many different modalities. There's so many different opportunities. I mean, Facebook groups is a huge one for a lot of designers for education and connections and and network. And I think it can be really overwhelming for newer entrepreneurs, newer freelancers to figure out where their their spot is, right? Like we're both in yeah. this spot where we're now, you know, we have leads, we've got great portfolios, we're figuring out like who we want to work for. And now it's the game of like, okay, I need to start saying no a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know Absolutely. if you're having this issue yeah. um, and figuring out what that next niche is, that next plateau. So I'm curious from you, what's one thing that you think you do particularly well? And what's one thing you'd like to be much better at? Um, I guess like the personal marketing, I do pretty well, yeah. like marketing my own business. I think I could have been a marketer in another life. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good <laughs> at those uh, Instagram stories and, and that's short form video content. I used to do a lot of video editing um, and After Effects work when I was, a you know, the old generic graphic designer. And that's really transitioned into this kind of short form video marketing space. I, I know how to cut a video pretty well. I'm decent in Premiere Pro. And so the timing of those videos and the, almost sometimes the comedic timing of some of the, you know, parts of the videos. Actually, I think I'm quite good at. Uh, better at, I am at a spot in my business right now where I have lots and lots of clients and lots and lots of work, not enough time. So I need to outsource. I need to get somebody in to help me out. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a freelancer. I work by myself. I'm such a control freak. I like to do everything myself. I'm having a real hard time outsourcing and and delegating at the minute because I'm, I've got such high standards. And this is one of the things I was talking to, you know, my old pal Chris Doe about as, uh, you know, um, how to start that process. And he was all like, you know, if you can go to like a, a shared office space so that you can sit alongside someone, maybe an intern, maybe a junior graphic designer that you can kind of bounce ideas off and that will be a great starting point. But there's a, I'm at a definite kind of inflection point with my business right now. Let's see the keep it as a lifestyle business where it's just me and you know just taking enough clients that I'm busy or do I expand and bring somebody in and get some help take on more clients Um, I just don't know right now it's all true true it is that was my January 2020 conundrum I was Mm -hmm. like oh it's January like I feel like I really want to focus this year on building my team and I'm tired of doing it by myself and then the world shut down and I was like wow that was great timing so (laughs) that's been my journey and I'll tell you the first thing I outsourced was file export and organization really I loved giving somebody else my messy illustrator file and say go for it And there are plugins and there are things and just being the person that, or giving them the, at least the bones of it to say like, okay, Madison, who's my junior designer, I want to see mock-ups that look like X, Y, and Z. And I'd love to see a canvas bag and I'd love to see a leather emboss mock-up and I, and can you throw them all into the presentation by Friday? And she's like on it, I'm zing. And she's just going for it. And because she sees the vision and, and she's also someone that helps me at the front end of the process. So she kind of sandwiches what I do where she can take the brand questionnaire from the client call and build out the Pinterest board and the mood board and color palette. So the, the design almost grunt work. That's exactly. Incredible. I love exactly. The sound of that. 
So we do a little bit more of like a baton toss where if she's running, you know, the first lap around the track, I'm taking doing, I'm still doing the, all the logo design myself, the bulk of the actual creative process myself. But now I have someone who's informed on the front end and informed at the end of the process to make sure that everything is consistent with that brand. And she is now like an integral part of the process, which is great because now she also knows what my standards are. Like you're talking about, it's really hard to let go of that stuff, but she brings now ideas to the table that I wouldn't have thought of. And that's been so valuable. That's great. I love that as a kind of collaborative process. And I guess that's something that comes from, you know, proximity to another designer. Do you work in an office with this person? You don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's fully remote. Right. Fully remote. Yeah. Yeah, my whole team is remote. I need to get um, her contact details, please. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm going to scoop her up. She's my like most valuable. I can, mm-mm. you got to find your own okay. Madison. She's okay. going to giggle okay. that we're even talking about this because I think she follows you on <laughs> socials as well. But yeah, I think that there's there's ways to to work around the, exactly what you're saying. Like you don't want to get capped out for your time. You don't want to get capped out for your own creativity. For, like that burnout feeling when you have so many projects you want to say yes to. And then something's got to give, right? Like something is yeah. going to fall by the wayside. I don't even know who recommended this to me, but they're like, just cut out. I think it was my parents probably. Make a list of everything you love doing and hate doing. And literally, I think my dad even said this to me today in the car. He's like, you just have to decide what you don't like and then hire people to do the things you don't like. I was like, oh, why does you make it sound that easy? Yeah. <laughs> That's painful. There's things like generating invoices and scheduling that are just not a good use of my time right now. And I do need some help with that. But also I kind of like the, I didn't really do the sales side of things when I became a graphic designer. So now suddenly I'm a bit of a salesperson and I'm managing my own clients. It's kind of, I quite enjoy that part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I almost don't want to relinquish too much of the, um, you know, actually squeezing out a, a job from a potential lead is quite a satisfying part of my mm-hmm. business now. So yeah, we'll see. We're in the same boat. I love sales also. Yeah. Like that, I love talking to the client. I love that first phone call. But yeah, I've got someone on my team that's business manager that takes it, say, okay, send this person a proposal for XYZ thing, include these three case studies, zing, and follow up with them to make sure that they have their payment in, in time by their project start date. It's it's great. It's lovely. It's lovely. Um, well, where <laughs> can everyone find you, follow you, connect with you, maybe apply for a job to work with you? Because maybe it sounds you like go. you need some help. There you go. Thanks for the help. Yeah. Uh, so my name is James Barnard. My business is called Barnard Co. So you can find me at barnard.co. That's the, the website. And all of my social handles are Barnard Co. on TikTok, Instagram, you name it. Smart. It's like you're in branding or something. I know. I yeah. know. Yeah, the consistency. It? We love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and for uh, joining us on the podcast all the way from the other side of the world. This is pretty cool that we can do this no worries no worries wonderful yeah it's been brilliant thanks michelle well thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time bye thanks again for joining us for the kiss my aesthetic podcast i'm your host michelle of course and it would mean the world to me if you would go ahead and leave us a review and follow us on apple podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts really The Kiss My Aesthetic book group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. We'll catch you next time.